Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. As I stand here today, obviously for a pretty incredible opportunity, um, you know, there's been so much that has led to this point. So many weeks and months of going through the interview process, so many questions that have been asked of us, so many questions that Jamie and I have asked each other, questions that we've talked about with family and friends, and really, ultimately, when you boil all of those questions down, it comes down to a simple question. Are you sure? Are you sure this is where God is calling you is the most important question by far? Are you sure this is a responsibility that you feel able and willing to take on? Are you sure this is what you're called to do? And those questions have been asked, and they're questions that I have really thought about and prayed about and just spent that time with God really asking and seeking his face. And I just want to say I'm so grateful for every person in this room that has prayed for us and prayed for our church in this time. Because that is the most significant thing that we can do is to be praying for the heart and for the will of God to be done. And I know that's what we're seeking here today. But the thing is, that question, are you sure, is not just a question that pertains to me this morning. It's a question that pertains to each and every one of us here in this room. Are you sure is such an important question because no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what our occupation is, no matter what our relationships are, if we're a mother or a father, a sister or a brother, whatever it is that we're stepping into, we have to know if we're sure, if we have the motivation to step into the bigger and the greater things that God has put in front of us. Do we know why? Do we know that we are called to step into these places? Are we sure? And to me, that leads to another very important question. And this is the question that I want to ask. I ask myself and I ask everybody in this room here today. Are we satisfied? Are we satisfied in our lives? Are we satisfied with what we've seen up to this point? Are we satisfied with what we've accomplished and more importantly, what God has accomplished through our lives? Are we satisfied with the lives that have been changed and transformed? Are we satisfied with what we've seen in our communities, in our homes, and in our walk with God? Are we satisfied? Have we gotten to a point where we say, this is good enough? See, I've had to ask myself that question many times, and, and the answer to that question simply is no. I am not satisfied. How could we ever be satisfied when we know the God that we serve? When we know the enormity of the God that created us, that created us in his image, that when Jesus came and redeemed our lives and and it says we've been seated in heavenly places with Christ, how can we be satisfied when we know there is so much more? You see, in God, there is always more. Impossible is not a word that registers in God's mind. There is nothing that God cannot do and does not desire to do through his people, through his church, through his reflection on this earth. So when we ask that question, are we satisfied? I believe the answer has to be no. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm not grateful because I am so grateful. I am so absolutely grateful to be standing here today for my family, for my friends, for the relationships that we've built. I'm so grateful but I am not satisfied. When I look around at the world around us, when I see society, when I see culture, when I see our community, 
I know there is so much more that God wants to do in this time. And it is going to require men and women, individuals, families, churches who are willing to say, I am not satisfied with what we've seen to this point, but I want to go after the more that God has for us. You see, it's really easy to be excited at certain times when we're looking at the bigness of God. When we're looking at who he is, we're looking at his provision and his ability and what his word has said. But if we're honest here this morning, very often we're not looking at those things. It becomes very easy in life to get distracted and to be looking at so many other things. To be looking at the the stresses and the worries and the cares of life. To be able to look at the world around us and to be discouraged. To look at what God has called us to even and to think there's not enough time. There's not enough ability. I don't have the ability to do what God has called me to do. And there are times where we get distracted even knowing how good God is. There are times we get discouraged even knowing what God has called us to. We're not always looking at that. And because of that, at times, we can actually become satisfied in ways that we wouldn't want to be satisfied. We can be satisfied with the acceptance of less. We can become satisfied in the acceptance of what we've seen and what we've known. It doesn't mean that we're satisfied with what we've seen, but we've become familiar in the areas that we are. We've come, become familiar with disappointments and discouragement, with the answers we haven't seen. And we actually become satisfied in those places. You see, this is very true of all of us. And what we do in these moments is we look for places that are going to comfort us, places that are going to give us some sense of security, that are going to make us feel like we have some control in the situation. You see, we all naturally gravitate to these places, the things that are going to keep us comfortable, the things that we've experienced in the past. We go to these very things, and when we look back in the Word of God, we see this is so true many times. When we look at the Israelites, let's say, we spoke a couple weeks ago about Caleb and Joshua. We talked about head faith, heart faith, and spirit faith. Joshua and Caleb, they walked in a spirit faith. They did not become satisfied with what they had seen, but they were connecting with the Spirit of God, with the truth of what God had said. And they said, we can go into this land that God has prepared for us. We can take on the giants. Don't be discouraged. Let's go in there. But time and time again, we see with the Israelites, they found themselves in the places of slavery and bondage over and over again. God had done everything for them. He had led them out of Egypt, out of slavery, through miraculous works. He had led them across the Red Sea on dry land. He had brought them through the wilderness. And yet time and time again, we see that the Israelites actually became satisfied with where they were. It wasn't that they didn't know their identity. They they knew they were the chosen people of God. It wasn't even because of their circumstances. It wasn't always because they were just bad people. It's because no matter where they were, they found a way to be satisfied with where they were. And in the wilderness even, and and they looked back at the days when they were in Egypt. And they said, why did you lead, lead us out here into the wilderness to die? We at least could have been in Egypt. 
We at least could have ate good food while we were enslaved and we were held captive. They became satisfied with what was. And once again, if we look at our lives at times, we can see, unfortunately, that that happens to us as well. You see, there are times that we all feel like we're in a wilderness. Times that we feel a little bit distant, a little bit disconnected, discouraged even. But the thing about the wilderness is that we are never meant to stay in the wilderness. The wilderness is never the final destination. It's never where God is calling us. There is a a purpose for those seasons. God will work in those seasons. He uses them. But that's never our final destination because God is always calling us into more. But from what I've seen and experienced, the longer we stay in those wilderness seasons, the more familiar we become. Maybe even the more comfortable we become. And we begin to accept the less once again. You see, when we get satisfied, maybe it's not that we're satisfied with what we've seen up to this point, with what we've achieved, with what we've accomplished. But maybe what happens is we become satisfied in our mindset and we start to look at the things in life and we feel like maybe we're never meant to do more. We start to accept our own limitations and we look at life and we say, maybe it's just there's something wrong with me and we start to accept a lesser identity than God has provided for us. And we get stuck in these places. You know, there's a quote that I really like from Thomas Edison, the inventor of the light bulb and many other things. And he speaks about perseverance. He speaks about needing to continue to go. And so what he said was, uh, many of life's failures are people. They're not mistakes. They're not the things that, that they did wrong. They're not the failures. But many of life's mistakes are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. You see, when we stop short in the wilderness... When we become satisfied with what is or what was, and we lose the expectation for what God is going to do, when we stop short, we stop short of what God is wanting to do in and through our lives. You see, we never want to become satisfied. But what we do is, when we become satisfied in these places, we start to put in systems and ideas and ideologies inside of ourselves to keep us limited, to keep us safe, to keep us comfortable. We put in safety mechanisms to keep us small or to keep us in a place of acceptable discomfort or discontentment. Acceptable discomfort or discontentment. I don't know if I'm the first person to ever string those words together, but that's a terrible statement, isn't it? The acceptance of discomfort and discontentment. See, last night during our question and answer session, I was giving Pastor Jeff a hard time. Because I was thinking, you know, this is what, what it must be like to be a Red Sox fan. <laughs> to constantly accept less. And to be used to it. But wait, 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 wait. Listen, listen. I'm not going to go after Pastor Jeff today. I love him. What about the Mets fans in the room? <laughs> listen, they're in first place right now. We can give them a hard time. Acceptable discomfort and discontentment are the places in life where we become so familiar with what's less that they, those things actually become part of our identity. 
We start to take on those attributes and, and we make sure that there are systems in place to keep us safe, to keep us protected, to keep us from getting hurt. A couple days ago, we took uh, my son Caleb to Legoland. It was his, his birthday is coming up next Sunday, and so we wanted to celebrate, and he loves Legos, so we took him to Legoland. And if you know anything about my kids, they couldn't be more different. Caleb is very calculated, he's very intentional, he's very sweet. My daughter, not to say she's not sweet, but she is a fireball, a spitfire, a firebrand, whatever fire analogy you want to give to my daughter, that's my daughter. But we went to Legoland and we started on some of the small rides and we kept going a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and finally Jamie took him on a roller coaster. And it wasn't a huge roller coaster. It was like a, a medium level one. And he got on there and me and Tomoki were there watching from the ground and we saw his face and he wasn't super excited about this. This was his first experience and he was digging in to Jamie's arm like, I just want this to be over. It made two loops. He was done. He said, do I have to do that again? We said, no, you're good. <laughs> but he didn't cry. Uh, yes, well, I'm, getting to the, I'm getting to that part, okay? So as the day continued, we stopped and we got lunch. And we're just going in a couple of the shops, and there's a, a play area where you can build some Lego designs and do those kind of things. And we went to the next area and to the next one, and, and we walked into this one ride. And I was pretty sure this ride was just like a virtual ride. Like you go in there, and there's all these things that come on the screen, and you wear the glasses. And he's like, Daddy, I don't want to go on a roller coaster. And I'm like, Bud, don't worry. We're not going on a roller coaster. So they check, they make sure he's tall enough, we get in, we strap in. I'm not thinking anything. We're going into this little tunnel, and there's a dragon, and there's all these different things. And I'm like, Bud, see, it's all good, do you trust me? And he's like, no. <laughs> I said, Bud, it's okay. I'm not going to take you on anything scary. And I really genuinely meant that. And so we, we go around, and you make this turn, and all of a sudden you come out, and there's this bright light shining. And I think we're going back into the station, so to speak. And I see the unmistakable sign of these supports coming out of the ground. And we are currently on the biggest roller coaster in Legoland. I felt so terrible. I felt like the worst dad ever. I'm telling him to trust me. Everything's going to be okay. I would never put you in harm's way. I would never... And we get out there, and I'm thinking, Jesus, what are we going to do? There's no way off. And we're click, 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 click. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So we go up, and we, we go over the crest, and we start to drop. And I'm like, I'm going to scar him for life. He's going to be crying. It's going to be terrible. And he's just holding on, and we're pulling G's going around these things. And, oh, we got to the end. He's like, is it over? And I'm like, it's over, bud. He's like, good. I don't want to do that again. <laughs> You see, he was a champ, and he actually woke up the next day, and he said, I want to go back to Legoland, and I want to go on the roller coaster. Aww. But you see, what happens so often in our lives is we go through these experiences that are not what we expected. They're scary. They're uncomfortable. They require something extra of us. We're not so sure about it, and we get to the end, and we're like, no, I'm not doing that again. Mm-mm, I'm done. That was my last time going to do that. I'm not going to put myself out there again. I'm not going to make myself vulnerable again. 
I'm not going to allow myself to, to step out in faith because the last time I did it, you saw what happened, it didn't work very well. And so we make these decisions in our minds and in our hearts to stay comfortable and to stay satisfied where we are instead of stepping into the more. You see, this happens in all of our lives at some point or another, sometimes when we're small children, sometimes when we're adults, and, and all the way through. But unfortunately, what we do in those moments is we go to other things for comfort. We go to other things to give us a sense of security. And what we actually do is we turn to idols. Now, generally, we don't think about idols in our lives. We might think about American Idol or certain celebrities or, you know, think about the Bible and, and how they worshiped idols and the golden calf and, and maybe certain religions to this day. But we don't think about idols in our lives. But the thing is that an idol is anything that we turn to for acceptance, for security, and comfort. It's anything that we go to to make us feel better or to feel more secure or to feel protected. And we go to these things without realizing it so often. You see, an idol is anything that we go to besides God. The only one we're ever supposed to go to is God for our comfort and our security. But so often we go to these things and, and we go to, to these things, maybe our past experiences and the things that we've done in the past that have brought us comfort and we return to them over and over and over again. But the thing about an idol, and I really like the definition uh, that I found in the dictionary, which is simply this. An idol is a false conception. It's a form or appearance that is visible, but without substance. Something that we can see, something that maybe we can interact with, something we can hold, but ultimately, there's no depth to it, there's no substance to it, and there's no life in it. When I read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, though, it speaks about something else, which is faith, which is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. You see, idols and faith are always going to stand in direct opposition with one another. Because every time we turn to an idol, what we're not doing is turning to God in faith and knowing that even though we can't see it, even though we can't hold on to the promises physically yet, even though we haven't seen the things happen that we've been believing for and asking for and praying for, that we have the ability to connect to a greater depth, to a greater truth, to the promises of God that are stronger and deeper and more secure than every idol or any idol could ever be. See, this is why idols are so dangerous. Because they constantly try to take the place of God in our lives. And they always require sacrifice. They always require something of us. They require something of us in order to give us that sense of security. To give us that ability to step into the peace that God has for us. See, idols require something, and they're always a counterfeit of what God wants to do. 
And this is why God, through Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, speaking to the Israelites, he was warning them about this. Before they ever even stepped into the promised land, he said in chapter 12, verse 1, these are the decrees and regulations you must be careful to obey when you live in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. You must obey them as long as you live. There's no suggestion in this. This is not a, maybe you should do this thing. This is not a good piece of advice. He said, you must do these things. Verse two, when you drive out the nations that live there, you must destroy all the high places where they worship their gods. Let's say that together, high places. You must destroy all the high places where they worship their gods. High on the mountains, up on the hills, and under every green tree. Break down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, burn their Asherah poles, and cut down their carved idols. Completely erase the names of their gods. God was saying, I'm going to do everything that needs to be done. He didn't say, if you go into the promised land. He said, when you go into the promised land. When you step into the place that I've called you to walk into. When I have given you the strength to defeat the enemies. When I have led you into that place. I need you to do one thing. I need you to remember who brought you there. I need you to remember who brought you into the place of promise. I need you to make sure that you tear down any of the reminders of the past, any of the places of compromise, any of the places that we tend to go back to in order to find comfort and security. I want you to tear them down, to destroy them, and to make sure it's like they never existed. What God knew is that if those places remained... That because of human nature, they would continue to return back to the high places. To the places that were a false conception with no substance to them. And he said, no matter what you do, I want you to destroy the high places. See, the high places, what they were, they were the specific places that the Canaanites had created They had carved out, they had gone to to the high elevations, and they had decided this is the place where we're going to worship our gods. And what they ended up being was a work of man. It was a reliance on man's ability, man's information, man's wisdom. It was going back to the same thing Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. What they turned to was their own ability. It was their ability to worship on their terms. And this is why the high places were so dangerous. And we could put up a picture of one of the high places. This is Petra. I believe it's in, in southern Jordan at this point where they, they uncovered it. You see, God continually said, I want you to tear down the high places because these are the environments. These are the places that have been created to rely on your own strength and ability. But I need you to rely on my strength and ability. But time after time after time, Anybody familiar with the book of First and Second Kings? As we're reading through and we're reading about the, the kings of Israel, you see, constantly there was this narrative that was going through those books. You see, with the kings, they would talk about them, and they would say, well, this king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and that seemed to be most of the time. And every once in a while, you had a king, and it said, this king did what was right in the sight of the Lord. 
that he served God, that he gave himself fully to him. But even in these moments, even in the times where we had the kings who were serving God, we read in 1 Kings 15 verse 14, but the high places were not taken away. He was a good king. He served God, but the high places were not taken away. 1 Kings 22 43. He walked in the ways of his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Yet the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. 2 Kings 12, 3, 2 Kings 14, 4, 2 Kings 15, 4, 2 Kings 15, 35, time and time again. Yet the high places were not taken away, they were not destroyed, and the people continually returned to those places and offered sacrifices. And always the results were the same. They turned to their own ability, their own strength. They turned to what was. And continually they found themselves in bondage and slavery. Once again, not because they didn't know who they were. But it's because they became satisfied with where they were. Maybe a little too comfortable with who they were. And they kept going back to what was the places that were easy and comfortable. See, very often we do the same thing. We keep these places in our lives because they're kind of a fallback fallback plan we keep going back to. I was listening to a message this last week uh, by Benny Leacher in Jesus Culture, and he said, sometimes the reason our prayers don't have the authority they should is because in the back of our mind we have a plan B. I wish it was mine, but (laughs) sometimes our prayers and our belief doesn't have the authority that it should because we're keeping in the back of our mind, this is another option just in case. If God doesn't come through, well, I can always go back to this thing. And we look back to the, the places in our life, even old jobs or experiences. I worked quite a few jobs. We talked about them last night in the question and answer session. And I just know that when I was in a job about to move to the next job, I was always so excited This is going to be the job that's going to be so fulfilling. I'm going to make this much money. It's going to be great. And I'd find myself in that next job occasionally, thinking about the last job, thinking, well, maybe that was actually not so bad. We do that in our lives. We do that even in old relationships. Not me, baby. (laughs) But, But we do that. We romanticize the past. We think about the things that that used to be and we think, well, it was just better back then. Even though there was a reason why we walked away from it. We walked away from it for a reason. God led us out of that place for a reason. But we think back to those places and even just thinking about them gives us comfort. We think about what other people have. We look at what they they have and what they're walking in and, and we wish we had those things and we compare ourselves. We look at social media. There were a few times, I have to admit, the couple, last couple of years where Jamie and I talked, why don't we just move down to Florida or Texas or South Carolina or whatever? It'd be so much easier. Our money would go so much farther. Look at what this person did. They built this house. They, they were able to afford all this. And it's like thinking about that just gives you a little comfort because there's like, well, maybe there's this other option out here. And I'm not knocking anybody who's moved south or is, is doing that right now. However, we have to be where God has called us to be, Right? 
I believe that New York needs us. I believe we have to be obedient to where God has called us to be. To trust even when it's difficult. To trust even when things are not going the way that we expected them to go. To not become satisfied with where we are and just to accept less or to look for an escape plan or another option. But to say, God, I'm trusting in you. You see, what happens so often is we become satisfied. And what we do is we start to think about the things that are around us. We grow familiar with them, but sometimes we just get so stuck at looking at the things that have gone wrong. We start to look at our failures and our mistakes and the things that have gone wrong. And, and although we're not comfortable, we're, we're still satisfied. It's this weird in-between. And what happens is we, we find ourselves looking at the mistakes that we've made and the things that we've done wrong. And the point that I want to make here is very often we fail to realize that it's less about the mistakes that we've made or the things that we've done wrong. And it's more about the environments that we have allowed to exist in our life the high places in our thinking, the ideas and the ideologies and the agreements that we've made to stay where we are. And so we listen to that voice of the enemy, Revelation 12, 10, the accuser of the brethren. And we listen to him keeping us distracted and stuck where we are instead of going back to the root of the problem. Instead of going back and destroying anything that would try to exalt itself above the name of God. See, we have to destroy the high places. We have to destroy the high places. We cannot continue to look back. We cannot to allow these things to exist in our life because they're the underlying truths that undermine the acceptance and the truth of God. We have to be aware of where these things are so that we do not become satisfied with less, so that we do not accept a counterfeit gospel, so we don't accept a counterfeit ideology, so we don't take it upon ourselves to figure it out and to make it work, but to trust wholly in him. As we continue in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 8 and 11, I think this is significant and important to read here this morning. Once again, Moses speaking to them, you are not to do as we do here today, everyone doing as they see fit, since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God is giving you. But you will cross into the Jordan. You will settle in the land your Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. This is the part right here. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to bring you into this place. I am going to do it. But then I am going to choose a place for you to worship me. I am going to choose a place that is going to bring peace. There you are going to bring everything I command you. Your burnt offerings and your sacrifices. Your tithes and your special gifts. And all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. See, God delivered on his end of the deal. He brought them into the promised land. But what he required from them was obedience. It was submission to him. 
And ultimately, it was for the purpose of being able to step into deeper relationship and reliance on him. See, the reason why this passage is specific is because it says that I want you to worship only in this place. I don't want you to do it on your own anymore. I don't want you to go back to the high places, once again, a representation of man's strength. But I want you to rely wholly and completely on me. I want you to come into the temple that we're going to set up. I want you to come into that place as the high priests come and they they represent you before God. I want you to be obedient to that because you need to know it's not on your own ability. When we look at the enormity of what stands in front of us, when we look at what's taking place in culture, in our nation, we have to know that we are not going to be able to do it on our own. We are not going to be able to bring change in our own ability. We are not going to be able to bring the difference on our own, but it's through trust and reliance on him. Through obedience to what he is saying. He said, don't sacrifice on the high places, go to the temple. And what the amazing thing is, when we continue on to the New Testament, when Jesus died on the cross, what happened to that veil that was separating them from the temple? It was torn in two. Because God was saying, now you are going to be the temple. You are going to be the carriers of the Holy Spirit. You are going to be the ones that walk in the power and the authority I've called you to walk into. And ultimately what I believe he was saying is I no longer want you to worship in the high places. But what I need you to do is to go into the secret place. I no longer want you to go to the high places. I want you to worship the most high. I want you to step away from the past, from the old agreements, from the places of protection that we have created to keep us safe, to step out of a place from satisfaction with what we've had up to this point and to become just so familiar with less, to step into a place of excitement and expectation for what I am going to do. He said, I am going to bring you into the promised land. I am going to bring you protection. I am going to bring you peace. I am going to bring you provision. I am going to do all of those things because I am. But what you are to do is to walk in obedience. What you are to do is to turn away from all of the ways that you've trusted in yourself or other people or whatever the idols might be. And what I know to be true today is that it is time for us as believers to forsake the things of the past, to get rid of the places of small thinking, to realize that it is no longer business as usual, that we do not live in a time where we can afford to be comfortable any longer with what has been, but that we need to be actively pursuing, asking, and seeking for more to desire to know what God is saying in this time. To know what God is wanting to do through each one of us and through us as a body of believers. What is he calling us to do? What is he calling us to walk into? We need to be seeking that and living in eager expectation of that. We used the word last night in the question and answer session. I'm going to bring it up again today. Revival. We want to see revival.
I just love being here today thinking about some of the prophetic words that have been spoken over Poughkeepsie specifically. Some of the prophetic words that have been spoken, I believe for this time, that Poughkeepsie is going to be a center for revival. And this is not something we can do on our own. It's something that we need to partner together and not just this church, but churches in our area to stand up and to say, this is what we're seeking and this is what we're going after. To be in prayer and belief for these things. But first, but first we have to make sure that we're tearing down those high places. First, we have to make sure that we're removing any plan B from our minds. That we're removing anything that we would like to turn to for comfort or security or protection. That is not our father. I want to ask if the worship team would prepare to come up this morning. You see, when we ask this question, have we settled for less? Have we become comfortable with where we are? I want us today to know our answer. To say, absolutely not. We are not satisfied with what we've had to this point. Faith Assembly is not satisfied with what we've experienced to this point as amazing and as, as much as an amazing history and a lineage that we carry because God wants to do more. And I believe with just the agreement we have in this room today that we are going to step into the greater things, that we're going to step into the places that God has promised and called us to walk into. And I'm so excited for it. So just quickly here this morning, I want to ask if you would just stand with me, if you would close your eyes. As we enter into worship right now, what I want to do is just to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into any of the places that we have allowed the high places to exist in our lives. Any places where idols have been present, any places where we have turned to other things, and and the way that we can understand this the way we can be aware of this is where do we go in the places of stress where do we turn when things are going wrong what do we seek when we're in a place of discouragement what do we go to we all have our things we don't even have to name them today but whatever they are today what we need to do is say lord jesus i repent for any of those places that I have turned to. And right now, I am choosing to come out of agreement with any of the mindsets, the ideas, the ideologies, the limitations that I have allowed to be present, that I have set up for protection in my life. And I'm going to choose to seek you, Lord God. I'm going to choose to recognize you as the only one, as the most high God, as the only one that's going to be able to bring us from where we are into into the place that you're calling us into. So Lord Jesus, I just thank you this morning for every person in this room, for every person watching online. Lord Jesus, I ask through your Holy Spirit right now that you would highlight any areas, any of the high places in the environments, any of the idols that we have erected in our lives that we have turned to beside you. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that as we simply say, Lord Jesus, we are sorry, we ask for your forgiveness, we repent, that in those places we would make room for you. 
that you would give us a greater sense of expectation to do what only you can do in Jesus' name. Lord God, we love you and praise you. We thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.